Shramil Shlomazel. It's me, your favorite bundle of joy, Adam Pakora here, and welcome to another Requiem for a Tuesday. We uh, got a good one planned for you. It's been a busy week, you know, a whole lot going on. Um, also, Haas and Pfeffer Incorporated, inc- I, don't, I can't even say it, but also good podcast title if it isn't one. Just throwing that out there. Uh, rest in peace to Squiggy. I'm sorry I didn't write down your real name. That's probably not good. Um, also a cast member of Oswald, so big shout out there. Gotta love Oswald. Gotta love Squiggy and the whole the whole clan over there. We're gonna do it. God, I fucking love that show. Somebody get me a Laverne and Shirley boxed set, please, and thank you. But don't. But yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll watch it. I don't know. It's just like me TV. It's always the same things. Give me a little give me a little variety. That's all. Um yeah, I don't know. But, uh, you know, do the usual stuff. Instagram, adam.arfat, arfat.bigcartel.com for the merch. Uh, rate, review, subscribe to the show. We got a YouTube channel. I got a music video up on there. I got music. You can find it all in the description, wherever you may be listening. Uh, yeah, and check out Microwave Minutes, the other show on the Arfat Audio Network. Uh, a lot of good tasty dishes on there or maybe not you know you got to tune in to find out that's the beauty of it uh yeah so go we got a lot of stuff i got a lot of stuff there's a whole lot of stuff in various formats and mediums for all to enjoy so you know merry fucking christmas or whatever okay so big news out of the gate right so I you know HBO Max is insane and you know I'm a little afraid it's like our our movie theaters going to be over right like shouldn't we all be a little concerned I get it you know there's a lot going on but I mean they they're doing some sneaky deals so while you know HBO Max is now clearly the number 1 streaming service i mean like all of their movies are going to be coming out on there warner brothers i don't know what that means but you know it's a lot of movies dune and shit dune you know the big dune do-over big event and you know whatever else some dc bullshit just a lot of dc bullshit i think but you know there's some there's some things in there there's things that people would pay to see though is all I'm saying. You know? What was in theaters anyway? Just just that. Just a lot of DC and Marvel bullshit. Now it's coming right to your door. Now here's the thing. I get it. It's like, what are you going to do? Shelve all these movies? Then your movies aren't going to make any money anyway. Because you got a new movie coming out every two fucking weeks. Because at this point, you know, I feel like everybody's back in production and whatnot. But like, come on. It's just like, you know, I'm not a big chain guy anyway. I'm trying I'm not really trying to go to AMC and spend like $11 too much for no reason for a movie that's not good. But you know, it's just like we're waiting. We're waiting a long time. It doesn't seem like anybody's really getting ready to reopen the movies, you know. And uh, I guess rightfully so, but uh I don't know. You know, what are what are all the buildings going to become? What are we going to do with all of them? There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot to be concerned about, but also a lot to be stoked about because maybe now everybody will start watching better stuff because it's like, oh, you know, let's get on HBO, watch some original shows. Because here's the thing. I canceled my Netflix account. Because for this episode, basically, I just wanted to watch Mank. So I had to wait for Mank to come out. And then I was like, ooh, new Cobra Kai in January. I'll figure out a way to watch it. Don't worry. 
Uh, but it's like, I can't keep this service. It's terrible. There's nothing you want to watch ever on there. It's just like, what can I settle for? There's like nothing appealing. And then all the stuff that's like good on there, I've already seen and possibly own. So it's like, what am I doing here? You know? And it's like, I tried to watch other Fincher movies. They like don't have it. They have the social network. You know, we're going to, we're going to get into that. You better believe it. But it's like, I, I don't know what the fuss is about. The original stuff is all just like mediocre. It's just like, you think it's good because it's the best thing on there. Does it make it good? You know, I don't know. Not a Netflix fan. You know, just doesn't really have my my cup of tea on there. Uh, because you know what HBO Max does have is I just, I watched it all in one sitting, was completely mesmerized, was How To With John Wilson. Don't know who the guy is. Never heard of him before. Don't care. It's so it's not a big sell. <laughs> Right off the bat, but you're sold on the fact that it's produced by Nathan Fielder, who is a fucking genius, you know, if you're not watching Nathan For You, which probably isn't on Netflix, I think it's on Hulu, watch that, genius, genius, I say that with all the confidence in the world. So this show, I guess this guy is like a documentary filmmaker guy. And it basically is like the human elements of Nathan for you without the like, how do we fuck with these people? (laughs) There's not as much of the like, we're going to humiliate the people on camera thing. Um, It's more of just like this guy's filming first person things and then like narrating it cleverly and then it twists in ways you can't imagine. And it also does the same thing Nathan for you does where it's like, okay. How much of this is real and how much of this is scripted and I can't tell who's an actor or, like, how much is circumstantial and it's just insane. Like, for example, there's an episode about scaffolding, okay? And he somehow, that somehow leads him into New Orleans at, like, some scaffolding convention or some nonsense. But, like, as he's there... I think it was while he was there. The Hard Rock Hotel thing, that tragedy, where it just collapses, like, that happens. So it's just like, obviously, you know, they didn't plan the thing to collapse, so that's an example of, like, a big coincidence, but pretty big coincidence, you know? And there's just a lot there's there's more examples of things like that happening like well the way the show wraps up is basically like ah, i don't want to spoil it i almost did it but i'm not going to do it but it wraps up let's just say most of the show was made before the pandemic but it it's nice great six episodes i think real quick you know it's you're basically just watching like one long movie and yeah, real smart. I I I'd watch I'd run it back, rewatch Nathan for you all the time. It's just like you can see why he's connected to it and like why he'd be drawn into a thing like that. Also, just speaking of which, I believe he just has a full on deal with HBO, period. So just like all the power to HBO right now. Uh if they could have just been more clear on what app is what. Who knows where they'd be right now? You know, nobody fucking knows what it is still somehow. I thought it was pretty easy to figure out. You know, everybody just like made it overcomplicated. But, you know, they could have done a better job. You know, condense. But what can you do? You know? But, uh, yeah, so let's, let's, let's just dive in. Let's talk about Mank. Okay, so if you're not aware of Mank, it's the new David Fincher movie. If you're not aware of David Fincher, you know, again, grow up. I don't have anything to say to that yet. I'm going to get into him as a whole. I'm not really going to do, like, a ranking thing because, like, admittedly, haven't seen it all. So that's, you know, a little sketchy. You can question my preparedness. That's fair. Uh, part of it, didn't want to spend the money to rent the ones that aren't on anything. Because, you know, Jesus 
fucking Christ, God forbid that a generational filmmaking talents movies would be available to watch somewhere. It's just like, I don't get what any of these people are doing. Get the rights to the good movies. That's what that's what people want to watch. It's like, why do you think that all the movies and like the trending thing, if they're not just some new thing that Netflix is making forcibly trending, the rest of them are all just like recent masterpieces that nobody watched in the first place. And it's just like, come on, you know, get your shit together. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's only, let me, let me think about it off top. Okay, on Hulu, there is Gone Girl, which watched for the first time, trying to get them all together. Holy shit, that's going to be a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> and I think that was it. I could be wrong. Yeah, see, this isn't good. I don't really remember. But HBO only had Benjamin Button and Alien 3. Come on. And then Netflix had, I think, just The Social Network. And may- it went Zodiac, I think. Somebody had Zodiac. Because I rewatched that recently. Anyway, they're not all there. They're not all anywhere. It's like, can we just get, like, half of them on one, half of them on another? You know, distribute it. Let us know what's where, by who. Please. Um, but anyway, so Mank, <laughs> I guess they did, I mean, I guess none of us really knew what it was going to be about specifically. It kind of had the same once upon a time in Hollywood mysteriousness to it where it's like, yeah, it's kind of a, it's about this thing a little bit. Uh, whereas it's, it's about the guy who co-wrote Citizen Kane with Orson Welles, which is good. I recently watched Citizen Kane for the first time, the first real time. Uh, There's an episode about that. Go find that. Because it was good. You know, it was good. Anyway, (laughs) so it's about the guy who co-wrote it, and they make it seem like it's going to be about, like you're led to believe that it's just about him writing it and, like, you know, maybe you'll get some Orson Welles in there, and there's a little bit, but uh, it doesn't matter to the plot at all. So, and it, so it does kind of match up with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If I'm going to run with that narrative I just made up, whereas it it's definitely not just about the one thing you think it's about. It's almost not about that. Um, and it's shot like. Citizen Kane, basically. It's made to look like it's a movie from the time. You know, 19, what? Jesus. 40? 41? You know? And, like, that's probably the best part of the whole movie. It's just that, very stylistically, all the choices that are made are very cool. Like, there's vintage fade-outs and, like, cigarette burns in the corner. But it's still, like, very distinct and, like, finchery, whereas, like, you know what I mean? Like, nobody ever could have pulled off any of the shots that he pulls off in the past. He's just too good. I mean, the master of lighting, you know, which I'll get into in other movies, but in this movie as well, like, because the black and white is used expertly. And all the staging and everything. Like, on a technical level, it's unreal. Uh, What's his name? Reznor and Atticus Ross did the score. They use, like, all period-approved instruments. And it literally sounds like a soundtrack from back then. Like, those guys are, like, the best to do it, probably. Maybe ever, you know? Like, on track. Because it's just crazy how good they are at scoring things. Like... Real talk, you know, I think the film work is, it's it's definitely outpacing Nine Inch Nails. I'm not a big Nine Inch Nails guy. Like, they're good. I don't get, like, the worship where they're, like, you know, dropping number one records and stuff. The late 90s were dark for a lot of people. You know, new metal was blowing up. I don't really understand how all these things were commercially viable, but... Having said that, you know, 
I I do dig some nails, bro. Especially uh, the Twin Peaks performance. You know, if we want to get on get on that level. But uh, here's the thing. Gary Oldman, I still don't know what he looks like in real life. I th- I assume it's similar to the Dark Knight Gary Oldman. But anytime he's in anything, I he, I don't recognize him. He's real good at doing that. Now it's like he's technically just kind of doing what Eddie Murphy gets shit on for, so that doesn't really make sense. It's like, oh, just because this movie's a drama, it's not it's not stupid. You know, it's like chill with the costumes and the fat suits, but he was great. Uh, you know, you I would assume you know that like me, you don't know who this guy is. And it makes you really like the guy, so that's good. I feel like it's just like showing this dude love and, you know, doing Fincher stuff. Because <laughs> uh, I guess it was written by his dad who has who passed away a long time ago, which is very sad. But the thing is, the reason why I'm not like saying that this is like amazing and like saying everybody should go see it. It's just like, eh. just like this didn't need to be David Fincher. Now, obviously, his dad wrote it. It's like his project, 100%. They do a lot of cool things where, like, the structure kind of parallels Citizen Kane's structure, and some of the shots kind of do the same thing. And it's really smart, just everything about it. Like, the script is nuts. Just thinking about, like, how everything fits together and its comparison with Citizen Kane, like, trying to do some of the same things, some of the same shots. But, yeah. And, like, it has a political commentary and all this stuff. does a lot. And a lot of very clever lines. And, you know, Amanda Seyfried. I don't even know how to fucking pronounce her name. I never learned. Who would have thought that after, you know, everybody thought she peaked in Mean Girls? You know, 100%. I thought everybody in Mean Girls peaked in Mean Girls. I'm sorry, Rachel McAdams. You just didn't live up to the hype. You're still good. It's just its just how it is. You know? It's a cutthroat business. You know? What's Tina Fey been doing? But here she is. Amanda Seyfried. Just fucking crushing it. There's already Oscar talk. I mean, come on. But anyway, what I was getting at, it's not like a... Blow the doors off of your movie. It's more of a, you know, it's what you're going to get out of a period piece. It's, I always like a making of the movie movie. Any meta type behind the scenes things. I'm not as big on, you know, things being set in the past. Like, just because they do cool things with it here. I don't know if that means that. I like it. You know what I mean? Like, I'd probably still rather watch a contemporary or future set thing. That's just me. Um, But, like, the inner workings of the business and all that stuff, I really like. But at the same time, it's a little hard to follow if you don't, like, love old Hollywood. You know, because I feel like some of the characters definitely got lost on me and the references and whatnot. But, you know, that's... That's like a guaranteed product of what this is. You know, it's made for a certain people. And another th- that's another thing it does have in common with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, it's showing Hollywood in a different time. This is just an even older time. So it's, like, even harder to be like, yeah, I love, you know, Charlie Chaplin. That's the easy one. I couldn't even think of anybody. You know what I mean? Um, but there, there's a really good scene that's really funny where they're talking about, like, So the movie goes, like, back and forth in structure, not like Citizen Kane where it's, like, trying to encompass his whole life necessarily, but kind of, like, what led to him writing Citizen Kane and the reason why Citizen Kane is such a, like, anti-media thing. It's basically, like, he just gets shit on a whole bunch for, like, a decade. And uh, so in one of the flashbacks, it's, like, the late 30s or something. 
and they're like talking about like Hitler rising up to power and everybody's like, yeah, whatever. He ain't shit. You know what I mean? And it's kind of, it, it's funny because you know that there were people who weren't that worried about it and it definitely got out of hand. Well, some say it got out of hand, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. The Holocaust happened. <laughs> just to clarify, uh, cause apparently you have to do that. But, uh, yeah, it's just like, Jesus, people can really be perceptive, can't they? <laughs> but okay, let me pull up the list. Let me just run through it. Okay, so Alien 3, real talk, fell asleep, didn't make it through much. You know, uh, looked pretty good for the time. But, I mean, it's well documented that he hated it and the studio, like, fucked him over and it's not how he wanted it. The classic Dune <laughs> scenario. So, he hates it, disowns it. So, it's like, even if you like it, it's, like, technically not a Fincher movie in that regard. Uh, seven, I mean, obviously amazing. Fucking love that movie. Have a sick special edition that like comes in a composition notebook style thing and it's got a whole bunch of shit fucking love seven one of the best movies ever fincher's another guy you can throw in with pta and tarantino where it's like oh like a few of his movies are some of my favorite movies period it's like he's another one of the guys you throw on that list. Now, the game, haven't seen it. Not really that interested. Not a big Michael Douglas fan. It's just like, I feel like he's always the same guy. Like, Michael Douglas is just Michael Douglas. You know? I'm not not really into it. Fight Club, love it. Uh, I know that there's a whole backlash because it's like a dude movie, but it's like, I'm a dude, so I don't really care. <laughs> You know, you can go watch A Walk to Remember, and that's fine. Spy Club's the shit. It's really smart, and, I mean, come on. If, you, if you're going to try to tell me that Fight Club didn't blow your mind the first time you watched it, you're lying, because you were 12, just like I was. Like, you weren't going to figure it out, and I don't think you would figure it out anyway. Anyway, we don't need to do that. Love Fight Club. If we were ranking that, that's probably number two for me maybe number three i don't know a lot of good movies on here you know what i mean anyway panic room still haven't seen it that's the one where i was like trying to find it couldn't find it anywhere it's bullshit i want to see panic room i remember the trailer scaring the shit out of me i was like seven you know whatever anyway zodiac i mean come on zodiac is like perfect which I'm going to say about another movie coming up, obviously. Uh, you know, it's long. It pro- it does drag a little. Probably could have been cut down. But I in the theater, I would not have thought that. So that's kind of a I watched it too late thing. Benjamin Button sucked. Basically, Fincher needs to do psychological. It needs to be a thriller. It needs to have tension. That's just what I think. That's why I'm a little down on Mank probably. He's just a master. And again, best lighting on earth. I don't understand how he does it. It looks like he's using the indoor lighting of whatever setting of the place it is. Like, I don't know how you're able to capture that on camera and, like, do that, but it's unreal. And everybody should strive for his lighting abilities, as well as just editing and general pacing and just, like, everything he does. You know, he's the best. <laughs> One of, obviously, not the, you know, let's chill. I got excited just thinking about it. (laughs) And I mean, you know, he's famous for being a perfectionist and doing like hundreds of takes, like spending weeks on shots. It's like, he's one of the guys where it's like amazing he gets anything made because of all the, you know, just things we know about him. Uh, Anyway, Benjamin Button, yeah, I didn't like it. Not a fan of Benjamin Button. It was really boring, overlong, too sentimental, too sappy, didn't care. And especially... I, I'm super mad at, like, the logistics of it because he's born a baby, baby-sized, obviously. You can't be born full-sized, right? That's 
you know, you're probably saying, gee, Adam, how, what other size is he going to be born, right? Of course. But he's old, right? So he looks like an elderly baby. And then he grows like a full human does, but gets younger as it happens. But then he shrinks back down and becomes an embryo. It's like, I'm sorry. I thought that he aged backwards and wasn't like a fucking mythical alien that shapeshifts back into form. You know? It's just like, just let him... I get it. It's like, how do you make a giant baby? But he shrinks back. That doesn't make any sense. It just makes me so angry that that's how that happens. And either way, I didn't like the rest of it. So, uh, You know, the social network, what can be said? It's the best movie ever made. I don't really have to get into too much of it. It's like, I could watch it every day. I fucking love it. <clears throat> Him with Sorkin, just a dream team. Trent Reznor, again, you know, I mean, come on. Dragon Tattoo, again, haven't seen it. Fucking up, I know. That one's not on anything either, though. What do you want me to do? I'm missing two of the big ones. Really, that's what I want. I gotta get Dragon Tattoo and Panic Room in. Because I think I'm missing a lot. But, you know, I'm not afraid to admit it. That's fine. I'm not going to pretend like that. But anyway, watch Gone Girl for the first time. Holy hell. How did nobody tell me? How did I go six years? Nobody was like, yo, this is definitely what you want to see. Because it is. It's 100% what I want to see. So I'm a little upset that nobody was like, bro, you got to watch this. Like, was everybody just like, I don't know. Like, are, are, are y'all just all aware of this? Like, how good this is? And just we're just going to pretend like we don't talk about it? I don't understand. So, I mean, first of all, Ben Affleck, perfect choice. He's the he's like, it's like, oh, did this guy kill his wife? I don't know. He's kind of a douchebag. I kind of like him. You know, it's like, that's Ben Affleck. I love this guy, but he's kind of a prick. But it's like, that's my guy. You know? Perfect. And they do a great job of making the whole thing kind of ambiguous still. And, like, it's crazy. There's just so many elements going on. And the thing is, I didn't know. So I knew very little. I knew that the wife was missing. This is spoiler alert because, you know, if you're like me and still haven't seen it, stop. Because it will ruin the movie, the things that I'm about to say. Like, it, it changes how much you'll like it. So... You gotta skip. Anyway, I'm gonna do it. That was a long enough warning. I knew that she fucking, like, it, it was her and it was a plan and that she was still alive. I knew that. But that's it. I didn't know in what way, at what point of the movie, I thought that that was the big reveal at the end. Like, you find out in a twist ending and that the whole movie is like an unraveling of a mystery, like a whodunit or, you know, and it's just like, is or is he innocent? And that's the whole movie. And it just gets more and more dramatic and heavy and more things. Keep, you keep finding out more things. And, you know, they do a great job of making you think that that's how it's going to be. And then, bam, the whole thing just cuts and then it goes crazy from there. And she, her plan is pretty amazing. Until the getaway. They never planned the getaway. And then Little Princess couldn't do it. And everything that happens after there is insane. And there's like a bunch of satire in it. And it's just like, I want to watch it again and again and again. And Fincher's the man. You know, that's all I'm saying. He, you know, he strives for that perfection. And damn, does he achieve it multiple, multiple times. And again, the score for that is unreal. Your boy Trenty did it. Uh, Carrie Coon is amazing, who I am definitely going to be getting to because the back half of this episode, as promised, is the Fargo recap. And you better believe we're talking Carrie Coon. This is a big Carrie Coon episode. This is the most pro Carrie Coon show you'll ever find. So don't, unless she has one or something like that. But whatever. We love Carrie Coon. You know, she's fucking Meryl Streep. Part two, how is nobody capitalizing on this? Put her in everything. She's the best. Okay? She was great in Gone Girl. She was great in Fargo. And, you know, love you, David Fincher. 
but you know he's pretty scary i feel like just by being that good <laughs> i feel like anybody that's that good at making things like that like the murder scene in gone girl which my biggest complaint is Neil Patrick Harris is too distracting. That was a poor choice. It should have been somebody either unknown or better. Uh, but that murder scene is so beautiful and demented and artistic and cool and just fucking sick. But I spent multiple times in the back half of that movie with my jaw dropped, just being giddy with excitement, like, let's run it. This could be four hours. Holy hell. And everybody in it was amazing except for Neil Patrick Harris. But especially the actress. I don't know who that is. Rosamund Pike. I don't know what that is. Who that is. What she's done. I didn't really look. But Jesus. She was fucking cold and perfect and became multiple people. But it's so cool how they just did like that. You still don't really know 100% of the story. Fincher's so good. So good. There's so much there without it being there. Ah. Oh. Anyway, I'm gonna move on. You get it. You get what you get. My you get my sentiments. I think. Uh. So, let's talk Fargo. We're gonna talk full universe here, because that's that's effectively what it is. And I think that it's the right way to do it. So if anybody else were to try to take a movie and make a show, this is the right way, anthology-style expansion on a smaller thing. Right? Like, if you took The Godfather, too much scrutiny, too big, too much, too easy to fuck up, you'll ruin it. Everyone will be mad. Now, Fargo's a beloved movie. I'm going to talk about the movie first after that, but after this, but... Just think, like... Okay, they made it failed, but they made a show out of Napoleon Dynamite. Safe, beloved indie movie, but that just that, not a huge fan base with, you know, giant admirers and people who worship this thing and know everything about it, and it's like a high point in culture. It's like, no, it had a lot of buzz and it was big. Let's do it. And for, I can't, I just couldn't think of a better example off the top of my head, but like Fargo, especially, it had like a lot of time in between. And Noah Hawley clearly knows what he's doing. Legion was amazing for the most part. I didn't really get to the end. It got too much into the lore and all that. And I was more just into the visual style and all the crazy shit that was happening. And my girl, Aubrey Plaza, the love of my life. But Legion's sick. And. You know, I wasn't always a fan of the movie. Uh, I'm not really a Coen Brothers guy, frankly. You know, like I like the, I like the Big Lebowski. No Country for Old Men's good. I like the book better. But you know, it's just like I don't really get it. Their their whole like Shakespearean Southern mist thing. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, we're going to be weird and it's going to be for a really smart intellectual reason that you're not aware of because you're a regular person. So it's like, oh, well, this is great. I'm sorry I didn't read The Odyssey or, you know, you know, whatever. I don't know. I'm making things up. But, you know, I, I just don't get I don't get the thing. That's part of the reason why I don't like watch a lot of their movies. Like I keep being told and seeing like raising arizona everywhere and it's like ah that kind of seems like it'll be good i'm interested in watching that i'm you know i think nicholas cage is a good actor he's just in shit movies you know i think i've been over that before but you know it seems like it's interesting but then i just think oh then i'll watch it and it'll be nonsense and it'll be you know what i mean and i just won't care same reason though I haven't watched Barton Fink. I just feel like I'm not going to... There's just going to be a disconnect that I don't get. You know? There's a bunch of their movies I kind of want to see. But there's also movies that I've seen of theirs that I hate. But there's also ones that I love. Love Lou and Davis, for example. Uh, absolutely despise Burn After Reading. Intolerable Cruelty. I don't think anybody likes that movie, though. But, you know, I don't know. Buster Scruggs tried to watch that. Horrific. Oh, Brother Rattali, it's fine. 
But Glavowski and Fargo, probably the best ones. Still haven't watched Hail Caesar again. I just feel, I just, I don't know what it is. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, yeah, some of their stuff just so doesn't click with me that it's like, I, I must be stupid or, or like not understand what I'm watching because there are times where it's like, this is some of the worst dog shit I've ever seen. Some moments of their thing. I can't tell you when or why or how, but it's happened. Okay. I saw Fargo probably too young originally, and it just all went way over my head. And I was like, that was just bad. Because that's that's how black comedies go with children. That's just what I've learned. Every black comedy I watched when I was a kid I thought was dog shit. You watch it again, there's a lot you miss, obviously. Um, but I still don't get the, like, this is a masterpiece, holy shit thing. So there's something still missing there, but I mean, like, it's fine. Is my thing. Now, you may be wondering, do you need to watch it to watch the show? The answer is no, so fuck it. Who cares? Because that's really what I'm here to talk about, is the show. Um, so the show does a great job of a couple things. First and foremost, it stays true, well, at least <laughs> the first three seasons, especially the first two seasons. Do a great job. Well, even that's arguable. Anyway, it does a great job of being original, but it does a great job of sticking to what makes what made Fargo what it was and like makes this show a worthy like worthy of its name. You know, cuz it also would be dumb if it was like completely dissimilar. Um, but it does a great job too of like following the same kind of structure even. It go it basically goes like somebody does a dumb crime. Um, and then they panic, and more crime ensues rapidly, and the police can't keep up. That's the gist of Fargo. It's in the burbs in the Midwest, usually in the winter. Like, that's the additional part. And it's like, oh, people in the Midwest can be criminals, too. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, there's more, there's organized crime even in North Dakota, which there probably isn't. Not on the scale that it is in the show, anyway. Um, but yeah, that that's the interesting part. And then the other good thing, or the other thing it does a good job of, excuse me, um, is interweaving and interconnecting all of the stories. So the thing that I don't like about, so it's an anthology series technically. A thing that I don't like about anthology series is why is it a series then? You know what I mean? There's just, like, no reason to do that. I just don't understand it. Like, why is True Detective have to be called True Detective in season two? Like, because each season's about detectives. Clever. I get that. But you know what I mean? It's a different show every time. So that doesn't make sense to me. Whereas in this, basically all that they've made is an interconnected and expanded universe. And I think that that's amazing, especially given that it's all set around Midwestern crime. So it's like untouched, uncharted territory. Uh, so huge wins across the board. And basically, the first season, at least, I mean, unless I'm missing something, is basically a reboot of the movie in a long term and they hash it out and expand it more. So my guy, Martin Freeman, a.k.a. Bilbo Baggins, that's right, where my hobbit head's at. <laughs> uh, he's in the first one. Again, I didn't understand why he was in it or who he was. But now now I'm, I like it even more. Like, retroactively, big season one head. Uh, but it's similar. Like, Lady Cop, I think she was pregnant. Or at least becomes pregnant along the way. I don't remember. Uh, Martin Freeman's guy, I think he kills his wife. Like, I think it's, like, all identical stuff. And then Billy Bob Thornton. I mean, come on. If you're not a Billy Bob guy, then we're definitely not on the same page. Love me some Billy Bob. 
uh, he's like a ruthless killer who's like involved with the cleanup and all that stuff. And it all just spirals out of control more and more and more and more. And it's awesome. Um, the thing that's a little hard about all of it is that basically each season is set up in the structure of a movie. So like three episodes is all just like build, 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 backstory, more, 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 more. There's even more. (laughs) Hold up. We got even more characters. And then the plot really starts to get momentum, like four or five. And then like six, seven, eight is like crazy, you know? And then, like, 9, 10 is, like, we're wrapping this up, but it's going to be a ride. So, you know, I feel like every season's a little slow. That's the one thing. Just slow to get started, but then before you know it, it's like, oh, I'll watch four episodes in a row. (laughs) Gotta know what goes on. Uh, But, yeah, and then the, the nice thing is that it just allows you to just have more moments of just good dialogue, people doing things, and you're able to set up the other seasons casually. Like, I, it's hard to tell how much is predetermined because I want to say not all of it. <laughs> but, like, season two is set in, like, the 70s or something. Yeah, that sounds right. With fucking Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons, sick, and little Kieran Culkin in there. Um, but it's the father, who's a very small character in season one. It's the father of the female police officer, and it's just about him, all with different, you know, a completely different cast because it's set in the past. And it's just like then a whole thing happens there, right? Which sets up enough little bit of backstory because the Kansas City Mafia is trying to fight the Fargo Mafia. That season four is set as the lead-in to that, and it's about the Kansas City Mafia, which I'm going to get to season four in a second. Okay, Now, season one and two, basically the exact same formula, like I said. little slow. There's an accidental or like... You know what I mean? Like spur of the moment crime, a heated exchange, whatever happens that then like gets covered up or just gets expanded upon and blows up in people's faces. They try to get away with stuff. And you realize that uh, criminals know what they're doing a lot of the time. So, yeah, same thing. But then season three gets a li- it deviates from that a little slightly. Um, season three is like loosely connected via, uh, like one of the henchmen in season one showing up. So season one also has the parallel of like the two guys trying to like fake the money thing, you know, (laughs) that's very descriptive, but you know what I mean? They're trying to like, uh blackmail their way into more money and I think that those guys are hitmen in the movie or in the show and then they're doing that in the movie but uh those characters get represented one of those guys comes back and that's like the loose connection that it has but what's great is they get Ewan McGregor in dual roles one of the roles is he basically just looks like Tim Watley from Seinfeld and gets fucked over by a corporation guy and then the other one is he plays a shitty Mike Myers character where he just like, oh, look, Ewan McGregor's ugly. Let's praise him because he put makeup on to make him look ugly. Anyway, <laughs> there is also a very, very sultry Mary Elizabeth Winstead who is excellent. And, of course, the great Carrie Coon who has a weird like little side California plot that doesn't go anywhere that's a little weird um there's also a weird sci-fi plot in season two that i didn't mention that's like a subplot thing but like ends up mattering a lot it's weird they kind of try to sprinkle little weird things in in, into these but (laughs) yeah season three then 
is the best season throughout because so much is going on. Whereas like the brother's trying to rob the brother, but then the one brother's getting fucked over because of this. But then the other brother is covering up a crime, which then brings Carrie Coon in because she's involved in that. And there's a whole lot of convoluted stuff, multi-layered, really, really good. But then at the end, they just wrap it up real quick, throw it out. Up, oh, there's the ending. I hate that. Uh, so it's 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 a weird thing where it's like this is the best season, but the worst ending. Even though season four has like an equally bad ending, where they're just like, "Oh shit, we got to wrap this up." I hate that. But season three of Fargo is like unbelievable television up to that point. And then season four is weird, completely weird, because. It doesn't center around any weird crime. And it's really just about two mafia wars happening. Whereas before the mafia wars either happened in the background or didn't happen at all. Well, they did happen every time. But they happened in the background, is my point. Um, And the police were more central characters. Whereas in this one, the cop was just a fucking shithead. Like, he was crooked and was weird. And it's just the guy who was the weird guy in Boardwalk Empire. So it's like, you're just playing weird guys. We get it. Um, And they also very clearly filmed it in Chicago and set it in Kansas City. And I had just been to Kansas City, so I know what it looks like. But I also know what Chicago looks like better than any other place because it's the only place I've ever been. So it's like, there's a scene set at Union Station, and it is the most blatantly Chicago Union Station you could ever see because it's like, Jesus Christ. And I don't know how obvious that is to, like, everybody. I don't think that that's, like, a crazy commonplace. But it's, like, if you've been there, it's unmistakable. And it's just, to me, it's, like, I get it. You would film here because it's cheaper. But you shouldn't film something set in a smaller city in a bigger city. That is just the most backwards thinking I could ever think of. It's, like, oh, well, we're going to set it in Chicago. Let's go film it in New York. Like, What? Don't you think people might notice? It's like you can get away with it when it's like, oh, we're going to set it in Chicago. We'll film it in Vancouver. We'll just show some generic buildings. You don't show, like, the Grand Hall of Union Station. It's like a national landmark. I don't know. I don't know how obvious that is to everybody, but it drove me insane. Especially in a lot of the exteriors, is like some of those apartment buildings. It's like that is so clearly here. I don't know. And it's just like Kansas City is such a distinct and cool place. I really, really like it there. I was hoping to see a bunch of it. Would have been fun. But Chris Rock was in it, so that was dope. I like that he is starting to do his acting thing. I like that all of these comedians are starting to get into their their other phases. They're starting to do their Bill Murray. I'm glad Bill Murray took the leap so everybody else could take the walk. You know? That's not the phrase, but I couldn't think of it, and I was starting to do it, and so I just did it like that. Sorry. Anyway, I don't want to give away too much about season four because, you know, it, like, just finished. But, I don't know. It got a lot of shit for being, like, too on the nose about its politics, but at the same time, like, to its credit, it was in production pre-pandemic. So, like, it was going to be about racial stuff. By the way, season four is about racial stuff, kind of. Like, a lot of it is. But, anyway, that was all going to be a part of the thing. They were, like, filming. So, it's like, it's not like this summer happened and they're like, all right, we got to capitalize on this. It's like, no. It would be less on the nose and probably better received had it not been screwed over by the pandemic which is weird but you know jason schwartzman he's great at dramatic comedy where it's like he's he's an amazing straight man and he can play idiot better than anybody pretty much uh and i I, you know i liked it it's a great show is what i'm getting at watch the show get yourself some fargo in your life because and I'm not naming a bunch of people that were in the cast, okay? We're talking, there's Ted Danson in one of them, Colin Hanks. I mean, you know, the the list goes on and on. 
I just wanted to do a little vague overview. Um, I don't know why, because that's what's going on. I'm doing collections lately. Um, but it's also current. Like, it just caught up. Listen, you're not going to see, like, a better sh- crime show consistently where every season you're going to see some clever, well-written well shot like it's all very artfully done it's all very cinematic very high production value everything about it is pretty sick and there's little television show stuff in there that'll make you a little mad because you're used to it being at the movie quality but then it's like oh that was a tv show move that'll sneak in there a little bit it'll be like almost perfect and then just throw you off but that's what you get when it's not on hbo it's on fx and as far as that goes ballpark 10 out of 10 Knocked it out of the ballpark. That's what I meant. (laughs) But you know what I mean? For like a regular cable, not premium cable show, you're not going to do any better. It's all on Hulu now because everything is owned by everybody by Disney. I'm owned by Disney. This show is owned by Disney. I wish. Then I'd have some cash. What up, Disney? Hit me up. (laughs) Um... But the show's better than the movie. I don't get the movie. I don't get the whole thing. But we're going to talk Carrie Coon because we're going to talk The Leftovers. Here's my Leftovers rant. And then we're peacing out. I'm not going to do a sports thing because the Bears are pathetic and they're sad and they make me sad. And I can't do it. I just can't do it. I don't want to do the rant. It's just like devastating and embarrassing. It is just... It's just like, you go numb. You go numb. (laughs) Anyway, so, uh, yeah. The Leftovers is the greatest show of all time, probably, and everybody wants to act like it doesn't exist. And now that everybody's signing up for HBO Max, that's right, I'm calling it back. Full cycle. I knew what I was up to. Uh, Fucking watch the show. It's amazing how, like, just nobody is willing to do it. Nobody even watched it at the time. The second season ended. There was a big push for it. This is how I got into it, okay? There was a big push for it. I was like rewatching Entourage or some shit, which, you know, the most fun show of all time. Uh, and I just kept seeing an ad for season two. And it was a really compelling, really well-made ad. Got me interested in the show. And so I just said, fuck it. I watched season one. Couldn't believe it. Okay? Could not believe it. Then immediately caught myself up. Season two was in progress, or maybe had not even started yet. Uh, But I was watching season two as it was happening, and, like, in absolute awe week to week. Like, I can only compare it to the last season of Breaking Bad. was basically, like, the last six weeks of season two. And then season three. So the show was so good that even though nobody watched it, it was getting beat by, like, Seinfeld reruns and shit. And, like, even lesser shows than that were some of the examples. It was getting beat by, like, something being reran on, like, TNT. You know what I mean? Like, crazy bad ratings. HBO's like, you know what? We'll give you one more season. Wrap it up. They're like, this show's so good, you have to finish it. And... (sighs) When I say that the last season of that show is the most breathtaking thing, like, I cannot stress it enough. That was like, how did they somehow make this even better? The third season of The Leftovers is, like, the greatest television ever made. Now, Damon Lindelof, it's like, is he good? Is he not? I don't know, because everybody hates Lost. I think I would hate Lost. I'm not interested. But this, like, I come on. First of all, Margaret Margaret Qualley, I love you, you know. Hit me up. You're an angel. And Justin Thoreau, I mean, you thought Mulholland Drive was great, which I'm uh, I guess I do. Do I want to say that The Leftovers is better than Mulholland Drive? That's a crazy comparison to make in the first place. So I don't know about that. But just what a hunk and Carrie Coon, one of the greatest characters uh, in modern time, certainly, that I've ever seen. 
and she is just unbelievable. So she plays a woman who, for those who you don't even know what it's about, I've been talking about the show like anybody even has heard of it before. 2% of the Earth's population mysteriously disappears. This is about one family's journey in the aftermath two years later and forward. There's like cults that are formed and the whole world has changed and it's like a whole dramatic thing. But it's like a trying to realistically portray how the world would change after such a crazy event, basically. So Carrie Coon is a woman. I keep just calling her Carrie Coon. She plays a woman named Nora Durst in the show. And... Nora Durst loses her entire family. She had three children, two or three children, and her husband, and they all disappeared. So she is like a, not a national phenomenon, but certainly a local. She's well known. And basically new branches of the government had to get created for like insurance and stuff like that for people that just vanished. Like it had to become a whole new thing. So she works for them conducting audits and like people know her so she's like famous in it's called the departures like the great departure when everybody disappeared so she's like known well known in the departure community anyway she is obviously very fucked up because of all this and uh justin thoreau's character is the local chief of police and they form a bond on how fucked up they are and throughout the show it slowly reveals more things about you know the characters what they've been through their past what happened before the thing who they were like just a lot of insight on like people's greed a lot of comments on like religion it is just it's got everything you could ever want and it goes in directions you would never expect <sighs> And let me just say, Carrie Coon, you deserve so much praise and so many more things. She is unbelievable in Fargo. She is unbelievable in The Leftovers. Please go watch The Fucking Leftovers. It's just like, no matter how many people I try to tell, I just want to talk to somebody about it. You know what I mean? It's like, is the show being unsuccessful and nobody watching it a metaphor for the show itself? Like, am I a sudden departure? Did I watch the show and suddenly fucking transport into a parallel universe where nobody else has seen it? And now I'm trapped being the only one who was able to experience such an amazing work of art? You know, maybe. God damn it. Whew getting sweaty that was a lot you really felt what i was feeling there didn't you go watch the show everybody watch it <laughs> fuck anyway i love you carrie coon i love you justin thoreau i love you everybody involved with the leftovers i appreciate you when nobody does and i'll stand by okay Get your HBO Max, Max subscription. You're going to need it. In the meantime, while you're waiting for your Wonder Woman and your Snyder Cut bullshit, you know, start watching the show. It's like three, it's three seasons. It's like fucking 30 episodes. You know what I mean? You got time. You're not doing anything. Quit making excuses. Don't you? It's just like, don't you want to watch good things? Think about that. Just ask yourself that question. If the answer is no, then I don't know what to tell you, and I'm sorry that you feel that way. But, you know, it is what it is. I feel like I've been saying that a lot more on the show lately, and I feel like i got to stop for infringement purposes. Yeah. So, yeah. That was the whole thing. I don't even know what just happened. I somehow went Fincher to Fargo. And it worked out. I don't know. <laughs> Just a lot of good stuff going on. This it, this has been like a month nonstop of just all quality things. I think I'm going to have to watch a bunch of bad shit. Because it's too much of me just being like, this is awesome. I got to start hating on shit. That's what people want. They want to listen to me just rip things apart. I'll figure out something I can gut. You know, maybe we'll do like a 
I don't know. Some kind of bad movie deep dive. Maybe we'll do... I don't know. The best part fives. or <laughs> You know, something crazy. I'll, I'll figure something out. Uh, maybe it's good to go into a week without a plan. That's also a possibility. I've been going in with a lot of plans lately. Maybe I'm feeling spontaneous. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, you can count on the Bears being shitty and stupid and ruining everything. I hope they fire everybody. Sign Allen Robinson gets some alignment. I stand by that. I'm going to stand by that. And I'm going to get out of here. Because, again, thinking about I keep bringing up the Bears at the end of these episodes. It keeps being really depressing, and now I'm sad, so I'm going to go cry. Uh, before I do that, just remember, I are fat, you are fat, and we are fat. Calculator.